Amen. <laughs> well, we thank God for his working, and uh, um, I was telling my, uh, my brother who called me a little bit earlier, it was just a movement of God last night, wasn't it? Amen. It was just a movement of God. And so we're thankful for that, and we can trust God to be, do another movement tonight. It might not be exactly like last night, but it'll be another movement of God, what he wants. And let's take our Bibles now and anticipate God doing a work in his way. Leviticus chapter 10. Now, um, thank you for that song. And uh, I personally think the, the short lady's a pretty one. Uh, that's my wife. But uh, so is Heather. She's pretty too. But my wife is pretty. My wife, uh, I'm very, very happy that I'm married to my wife. Now, let's take our Bibles. Let's stand together, please. Now, um, how many of you, um, um, so far, God's done a good work in your life through the meeting? Amen? Good. And so, um, it's good to see these young people. I think some of them are here, uh, and they don't have to be here. They just came. Some of them just really wanted to be here. And I know, I know that they do get a little bit of a break with homework, but they're here, a lot of them, because they want to be here. You can just tell. And I think most of them are. And that's good. Over here, four visitors. Good job. Good job. They need to give her an A in class, four visitors. I think let's just skip eighth grade and put you in the senior class, okay? All right. Now you need to stay young and enjoy your high school years and work your way through. You'll enjoy it. All right. But uh, good to have everybody here. I thought for sure, gentlemen up here on the right, I know I'm embarrassing you, but right here on the right uh, at the back here is a blue hat on. You sure look like a firefighter. Are you sure you're not a firefighter? You. You are a firefighter. What's it? What is it? Volunteer firefighter. I saw you look like one. I don't know. You just said that. I think it's. I think you just look like one to me. I don't know. I'm pretty good, aren't I? Yeah. Let's see. Firefighters. See if they see any more. No, you're the guy that starts all the fires. They call you a vandalist. All right. All right. Good. All right. Well, praise the Lord uh, for the good service last night and uh, for what he's doing through the week. Please be inviting people for the next two nights. At this time, we'll dismiss the kids, third grade, down to four years old. They'll go out the back door here, and they will be auctioned off at the slave market. All right, let's look at Leviticus chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Thank you for these pins. I like these. These are nice. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them a censer, put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses spake unto Aaron, saying, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing again, and we, uh, Lord, we do uh, trust you, Lord, to... Uh, go through the congregation and apply your word, and Lord, to keep our eyes on you and what you are trying to say to us, instead of looking at an evangelist or an evangelistic team, and uh, not 
liking a sermon or liking a sermon or liking a song, not liking a song, um, trying, Lord, to uh, do anything in our own strength. Lord, we want truly a work from you. And so, Father, we ask for you to help me to be a spirit-filled preacher, emptied of myself, relying on you, and help the people to be spirit-filled listeners. And we pray that your spirit will have free reign. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. We believe that you will. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When God says, I will be sanctified, he means that he is going to show that he is God. And he's going to show in every age that he is here. He is alive. He is everything that he says that he is. He is sovereign. He is supreme. And he is God. And there's no God but him. And he is there. And God made this promise that he would be sanctified in every generation. Now, in time past, this used to make people tremble. But today, the knowledge of God is not there. The fear of God is not there. But we need to understand that God is still there. Whether people fear God or acknowledge God, He is still there. And He's going to show that He is there in each, each generation. I have a friend who used to work in a shop, and he had a young man in his class who was giving him trouble, and he did what he probably shouldn't have done, but it worked. He took him aside and he said, young man, you keep interrupting my class. It's my class. I'm a teacher, not you. And you keep stopping everything I'm trying to accomplish. So one of two things is going to happen if you don't shape up. One, you're going to start shaping up or two, you and I are going to go in the tool shed and I'm going to lock the door behind us and we're going to see who comes out. Now that probably was not the best approach, but it did get his attention and he decided not to Um, shake his fist anymore in that class and disturb it. Well, there are many people that will honor God, and then there are many people that will dishonor God. But whether we honor God or dishonor God, acknowledge God or don't acknowledge God, God is there. And he's going to show that he is there. And when he says, I will be sanctified, it can be a positive thing. He can sanctify himself by showing he's God in a positive way. It can be a negative thing. If we disobey God, he'll still show that he's God and that it wasn't a good idea for us to reject him. But God will show that he is God. And this needs to be something on our mind that God is who he is and we are who we are. He is God. We are not. He is God, all-powerful. We are not. He is good and he's there for people. He shows himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. But he also is there to judge those that will reject him. And he is God. And we are not. And so our lives really are going to be affected by our attitude toward our God. Not whether we believe he's there or not. um, It's going to affect our lives. Whether we submit to him or not, it will affect us. Because he will respond one way or another. And if we live for him, it will affect us with positive consequences. God is God, and he will be sanctified. And in every one of our lives, I don't know how he does it, but he knows each one of us. I don't know how he does it, but he works in each one of our lives. 
And we know that he will work in each one of our lives. Even when we don't see him, he is God. He's fully aware of what's going on in each one of our lives. And what we want to do is make sure that we recognize God is there, God is who he is, and we need him. And we want to be in the right position with God. And sometimes we need to make adjustments in our life. Even good people can get off track. Even good people can have areas where we're not submitted to God. And if we're not submitted with God to God, it will be hard for us. The way of transgressors is hard. If we will submit to God, blesses the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth fruit in the season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And there's a promise that if we are in the right position with God, we'll prosper. Maybe we won't be rich, but we're going to see the divine intervention from God in good ways in our lives. So God is God, and he is there. And so how will we respond to that fact? Now, in this passage, Nadab and Abihu were priests, and they went into the tabernacle, and they offered an offering. But they did it in a way that God said, don't. So God because of their disobedience and other reasons, which I'll talk about, sent a fire from the tabernacle through the air, and it landed on Nadab and Abihu, and burnt them up. And they died before the Lord. Now, in this passage, we can learn about this idea of God sanctifying himself, positive things, and make sure that we're in the right position with God that we have faith in him, that we're men of God, and we choose to follow him. Or we can see the dangers of getting away from God and what can happen if we choose to reject his way. And then each one of us has to consider, are we in some way in a wrong place or a wrong position before God? And if we are, we can correct it. All right, now, as we look at this, the outline is going to be a little bit deeper, but I'll just tell it to you and explain it to you. Number one, we're going to look at a symbolic trine, a symbolic trine. And what that is, the word trine means three. So there are three symbolic reasons for why God killed Nadab and Abihu. Now, the second thing we're going to look at is a surprising turn. What happened when God sanctified himself and how did he do it and how will he do it in our lives? Well, we can learn that from the surprising turn. But then we're going to look at the sad termination. And that is what will be the result if God sanctifies himself in a negative way in our lives. So we're going to learn something tonight that I think will help us or remind us of the importance of being really right with God, all of us, and not, not really just pretending to be right with God. Now, how many would agree with me that even though we could be here and wanting to be here, that we could still have places that are not submitted to God? Would you agree with me? And so we've got to evaluate our lives, knowing who God is, and understand we just want to be completely submitted to Him because good will come of it. All right, now, first of all, I want to look at the symbolic trine. Now, again, the word trine means threefold, and so there are three symbolic meanings or messages 
from this passage as to why God sanctified himself. Now, today, God revealed himself to man through the Bible. Now, before the Bible was complete, God revealed himself to man through the tabernacle. And everything in the tabernacle had a meaning, and there was symbolism there. And if somebody were to deviate from God's specific plan for the tabernacle, it would be a series of somebody changing the word of God today. And so back then, it was very important that not one rule that God gave would be ignored. Now, first, there was a message in the brazen altar. All right, girls, get it. I know it's a little deep, but get it. The brazen altar. Now, the brazen altar was a message for salvation. Now, the brazen altar was a picture of Calvary to come. And so they would go in to the altar of incense, and they would burn incense on it, and a silver smoke would go up, and that would be a picture of going into the presence of God or the prayers of the people going into God's presence. Now, here was God's order if they were going to go into God's presence. Don't get bored. Think. They had to go through the brazen altar to get into the presence of God. And here's the picture. The only way anyone will ever get into the presence of God is they have to go through Calvary. Now, back then, these priests offered strange fire. Most likely, they got the fire from a place where they boiled meat. And they put it into the metal box called a censer, and they took that fire in, they poured it on the altar, and they burned incense. The silver smoke went up when they would normally do it. Well, they didn't even get in the door. You know why? Because when they were going in, they brought strange fire. Instead of going with the fire from the brazen altar, Calvary, they tried to go into God's presence with another fire. So God killed Nadab and Abihu. Now, why? Because he wanted to protect for ages to come. Hear me. It's okay. It's a little deeper, but you can get it. The only way anybody will ever get to heaven is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, if somebody tries to get to heaven any other way than Jesus, they won't get in the door of heaven. And so what God's put this in here to kill Nate, I'm going to buy you. The Bible's full of some amazing truths. This is to tell us again, a reminder again and again and again and again and again and again and again. So we can't miss it. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you don't know you're going to heaven, you can. And the Bible makes it very clear that anybody can know they're going to go to heaven. And the only way that it's done is through putting faith in Jesus Christ. And if you try the Virgin Mary, you try good deeds, you try Allah, you try any other way, you are trying strange fire. And God will not accept that. And you cannot go into the presence. I don't make the rules. God does. And he says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. The word is must. And that's what it says. Now, you know why God killed Nadab and Abihu? In part, it was his love for us today. It may sound a little strange, but he's looking in the future and he's saying, if I let Nadab and Abihu go into the presence of God by that strange fire for ages in the future, they might think you could get to heaven another way and people be confused and go to hell. I love them. And so he had to do this drastic move to protect salvation is available. And to make sure we know how it is, it's through Jesus Christ. And now the second message that is found here, very briefly, but very definitely, it's there. It's a message in the burning embers. Now, and you look at this, it teaches 
they were supposed to have a metal box, a sensor, and they knew how to make it, and the sensor was what it needed to be. And then they were told in Exodus, I think 33, how to make their incense. And the incense was probably the right kind of incense. So the sensor was good, and the incense was good, but the fire was strange, so God rejected their worship. Now, what this shows is that God's not only concerned with that we worship him, but how we worship him. And sometimes people will say, it is acceptable for me to worship the way I want to worship, and the way I want to worship is I like this worldly stuff. Now, there is a difference between the holy and the profane. And the Bible says that you have to discern the difference between holy and the profane. In fact, the Bible says in Ezekiel that God was upset with the priests because they didn't teach the people to discern the difference between the holy and the profane. Now, some people get angry at a pastor who would take a stand, and other people will just say, I want the pastor to take a stand, and it's just about a stand but there's a biblical basis for there not to be contemporary worship. It is God wants to be worshipped in a different way than worldliness. And he says they put no difference between the holy and the profane. And it's just not something we do because we like conservative worship. It's actually biblical here that we do right. Now, so God says there's a message in salvation, it's only one way, message of separation. I don't want you to have that strange fire in your worship. And then there's a message of budding authority or a message of submission. It says in Leviticus that he did as the Lord commanded them not. And so God struck them dead. Now, here is a simple reminder. Nobody blatantly says no and does something contrary to what God commands without being held accountable. Now, as God told you, thou shalt not lie, but you lie. You cheat in your classes. You cheat with your homework. That's lying. That also is stealing. It is. And nobody ever disobeys the command of God without being held accountable for it. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And it doesn't matter what your excuse is, if you're committing adultery, when God said don't, you're going to be held accountable for that. And God says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we have Christians that are using God's name just as an expression, almost like a casual expression, which is actually a curse word. And you and I who do those things, if we do these things, whether it be a lying, a stealing, or taking God's name in vain, we'll be held accountable for that. And so what God is saying, he's reminding us of something. In a day where we don't feel like God's doing anything, he is going to be sanctified. And we will be held accountable for what we do. If you look at pornography, you will held, be held accountable if you don't repent. If you um, are disrespectful to a parent, you will be held accountable. You will be held accountable. And if you um, have been an angry person, you will be held accountable. Let every man be slow to speak, slow to wrath, swift to hear. And whatever we're doing that God says don't, we'll be held accountable for. And we have to understand this. We will be held accountable. So God struck Nadab and Abihu dead, 
And so, he was telling us some very important messages. Salvation is one way, through Christ. Worship needs to be my way, not the way you desire. And then thirdly, you don't tell God no and expect he will not hold you accountable. So this is why God struck me to buy you dead. But I wanted you to know, as we talked about this, it's not just negative. This thing about God being sanctified has a negative side and a positive side. The positive side is if we live for God, there will be blessings. Now, I'll show you that now as we go to point two. The first is a symbolic trine. Secondly, a surprising turn. And this is dealing now with how God shows that he's God. How God shows he is God. Now, the way that God shows he is God, I'm going to give us a method, and then I'm going to look at the means. Now, the method that we can look at from this example is what we could call blessings or burdens. Blessings or burdens. Now, where do we get that? Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Deuteronomy 11, God is revealing himself through the nation of Israel, and we learn a lot about God because God gave us the nation of Israel to see how he deals with mankind. And then, of course, he brought us, through the nation of Israel, he brought us the word of God. And through the nation of Israel, he brought us Jesus, the son of God. So he would bless many people through the nation of Israel. Now, one of the things that we learn from this is how God shows himself to be God and is found in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. It says, Behold. I set before you this day a blessing and a what? A blessing if we obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you, but you turn aside out of the way to go up to other gods which you have not known. So here we've got a blessing if people obey and a curse if they don't obey. Now, question. When God says something that he will do, does he mean what he says? And we have to look at this even if we don't look at our present experiences or every experience that we see and we kind of look at it, we kind of don't understand why things are going the way they're going, we do know that God means everything that he says. And some things are a little confusing in the Christian life. I look at sometimes I've prayed for things and I haven't seen them turn out like I thought they'd turn out. And I get a little confused because I know God answers prayer. But what I do decide, instead of getting confused and just saying, I don't understand that, I'm not going to spend my whole life wasted on looking at things I don't understand. I'm going to look at what I know to be true. And what I know to be true is when God says something, I may not understand everything about what he's saying, but I know he means what he says, or he would never say it. Now, here's what he says. I will bless you if you obey the commandments that I give you. I will curse you if you will not obey and turn aside to other gods which you have not known. Now, here's what we get from this. A blessing or a burden, I will say a curse. I'll switch that to a burden. Now, these are the ways that God sanctifies himself. Now, we're going to look at the passage and get moving in it right now. 
Now, how did God show that he was God? How did he sanctify himself in Nadab and Abihu's life? Okay, here's, here's the only other hard part, and then we'll get into it, and it'll roll quickly. God sanctifies himself. It shows that he is God by being true to who he is, by being true to his nature. Now, God has many different qualities, and as we look at these qualities, we can think of some of them. God is love. He's going to be true to that. God is merciful. He's going to always be true to that. God is just. He's always going to be true to that. He doesn't stop being loved when he's just. I can be very loving and still pronounce a judgment on someone that I love if they did wrong, and I would be a judge. I would have to do that if I were just. But I can still love the person that I pronounce a judgment on when I'm just. Now, God is always going to be who he is. Now, God is called a consuming fire, Deuteronomy 9, 24. Now, there are two ways that God can show he is a consuming fire, by giving blessings or by giving burdens. And all the attributes of God, all of the attributes of God, I know this is a little meteor, but think, all the attributes of God, and there are many, he will show all and each by giving blessings or by giving burdens. These are the ways he shows his attributes. Now, Nadab and Abihu were disobedient, so God showed he was a consuming fire by sending fire through the air. And it landed on Nadab and Abihu for their disobedience and burned them up. Now, that way, God was sanctified, and he showed he was a consuming fire. Now, my question, was that a blessing for Nadab and Abihu or a burden? A burden. Now, what's the other way that God could have shown that he was God? By sending a blessing. Now, back up to Deuteronomy chapter 9, and you'll see that God showed he was a consuming fire by giving a blessing. All right, Deuteronomy 9, 22. Just a few minutes before Nadab and Abihu were killed, Aaron and Moses offered a sacrifice, and God showed he was a consuming fire by giving a blessing. It says, Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. How? There went out a fire from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. Now notice verse 2. And there went out a, of chapter 10. There went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them. Now, in Moses and Aaron's, the fire went out and burnt up the offering. In Nadab and Abihu, the fire went out and burnt them up. There's a difference to what got burnt up. Now, a fire can be a blessing. How many have ever gone by a fire on a cold day and done something like this? Or something like this? All right, that could be a blessing. A fire can be something where you roast hot dogs, marshmallows, make s'mores. That's a blessing. A fire can be a place where you get romantic with your sweetheart. But a fire can also inflict a lot of pain. It depends on if you're by the fire or if you're in the fire and your position with it. Now, the hard part is done. Now, here's the easy part. Nadab and Abihu disobeyed God. God showed he was a consuming fire by giving a burden, and it burnt them up. Moses and Aaron, just a few minutes earlier, 
offered an offering to God. God showed he was a consuming fire. How? The fire went through the air, and this time, instead of burning up them, it burned up their offering. And God just licked their offering right up to his nostrils with that fire, showing that he approves of their offering. Now, when Nadab and Abihu offered their offering and God struck them dead, God said, God struck them dead. Everybody said, God disapproved of Nadab and Abihu. But when Moses and Aaron did the same thing, then God showed he approved of Moses and Aaron. And everybody got down and said, we better follow Moses and Aaron and their leadership. Now, when God put his stamp of approval on Moses and Aaron, was that a blessing or a burden? When God struck Nadab and Abihu dead, was that a blessing or a burden? Now, get the point of the whole thing. It's the same fire from the same place, the tabernacle, did the same thing, went through the air, and then it consumed whatever it came in contact with. But in one, it's a blessing. In another, it's a burden. And the fire was just true to what fire was, and the blessing or burden depended on the position before God. Now, God is going to be God, and that's not going to change. And it's good that God doesn't change, isn't it? But whether that's a blessing or a burden to you depends on if you will submit and follow him who loves you. If you reject him in any way, then you will still see that God is God, and I will see that God is God. And so we want to make sure that we're in the right position with God. Now, God has many attributes. God is also called um, Jehovah Jireh, and that means the Lord will provide. What are the ways that God can show the world that he is Jehovah Jireh? By giving blessings and burdens. Now, if we have needs, God is able to meet our needs. I've seen God show that he is Jehovah Jireh still today. I've heard stories about people praying and God answering their prayers. And then I've had needs, I thought, would God answer my prayers? I remember one time that I had a need, and I had a ministry need where I needed $50,148 for what I was doing at the time. That was a lot of money. And I can remember bringing in at that time about $2,400 to $2,600 a month. So I was only behind that month about twenty about $47,600. So I remember hearing about how God showed himself powerful 100 years ago to the fellow named George Mueller, and how George Mueller prayed in $7 million to his orphanages. And God would provide in miraculous ways. There would be times when there was no food for the orphans, and he would tell the kids, sit down, and it's time to pray, and thank God for the food, and there was no food in sight. But they'd sit down, and they'd pray with no food in sight. Thank you for the food that we're about to receive. And then all of a sudden, there'd be a knock on the door when they were done praying. Somebody was driving by with a food truck, and they broke down right in front of the orphanage. And they'd knock on that door and say, could you use some food for your orphans? And his answer was, well, yes. As a matter of fact, we just thank God for it, put it on the table. And they'd take it out of the truck, put it on the table, and they would eat that bread. And that was a miracle and divine intervention of God. I read about how one time there was a moment that Charles Spurgeon evidently had a check and he was going to go ahead and redo his office. And it's like God said, you don't need that money. 
that money should go to those orphans. And so he reluctantly, after saying God Mueller could pray that money in from somewhere else, he reluctantly went and gave it to George Mueller. And when he knocked on the door, evidently Mueller had just gotten off his knees, and he goes to open the door. He says, Brother, God gave me this and told me to give it to you. Can you use this? And George Mueller said, I had just gotten off my knees praying for the exact amount of that check. Now, these kind of things happen, and I remember thinking, Lord, you did it for George Mueller. You can do it for me. And so I got on my knees, and I tried to pray like George Mueller. And I tried to pray sincerely, and I tried to pray real hard. And after praying and praying real, real hard, it's like the devil reminded me of something. He said, Mike, you're not George Mueller. So I quit praying. And I thought, what am I going to do? I've got all this money that people are expecting me to come up with for this event, and I'll never get it. I don't see any way of getting it. I'm not even close to getting it. And I'm not George Mueller, and I'm going to be in financial mess. What do I do? And as I'm concerned and kind of nervous, it's like the Holy Spirit reminded me exactly what I needed to hear. He said, Mike, it never was George Mueller. It was me. It never was George Mueller. It was George Mueller's God. That's what he reminded me of. And so I got back on my knees. And God has called Jehovah Jireh. Again, that means the Lord will provide. So I got back on my knees and I prayed, God, it never was George Mueller. It was George Mueller's God. And I began to pray. And I said, Lord, I know you can do this. I need, not I want, I need $50,148. And I need it for this ministry that we're doing at the time. And I said, Lord, if I don't have it by the time I go to bed tonight, then I'm going to take for granted that this was my idea, not yours, and we're going to shut this thing down tomorrow. I'm going to call all the churches involved. We're going to shut it down, and I'm going to eat crow and tell them it must have been my idea, not God's, because we don't have the money, and we've got to shut it down before I destroy everything. And so I was praying. I prayed about one hour. If I don't have it by the time I go to bed, I'm going to shut it down. And it was all based on that God is Jehovah Jireh. Well, that night, I had somebody come to visit me, and they'd never been in my home. They lived an hour and a half away. They happened to be coming to my house for supper that night, and he's not a wealthy man. Well, anyway, when he walked in the door, I welcomed him, and he said a few words of greeting, I greeting to him, and we just chatted a little bit, but then he said, by the way, do you know so-and-so? And he named the name of a guy that I had just met two days before. I said, yes, yes, I met him a couple of days ago when I was preaching in this church. And then he said, well, he told me, or he called me this morning knowing that we're friends, and he said, are you going to be seeing Mike Pelletier anytime soon? He says, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm going to his house tonight for supper. He had never come to my house. He lives an hour and a half away, but we're friends. So he called him up. He said, are you going to see Mike Pelletier anytime soon? He said, yeah, I'm going to his house for supper. And he actually said, stop by my office. I want to give him something for that ministry thing he's doing. So he stopped by the office, and he got an envelope, and he said, I get to be the bearer of good news. There's an envelope here with a donation for what you're doing. And I knew I had prayed for $50,000. 
So I began to think, is it 50,000? No. Is it 5,000? No. Is it 500? Don't get your hopes up. Is it 50,000? God can't. Well, it's probably five. And so I finally went into the restroom and ripped that envelope open. And when I did, I saw out of that envelope fell a check for $50,000. Now, the way it worked is this man called up my friend after I had prayed from 8 to 9 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, he began to think about his finances. And so he goes over his finances and he saw he had an extra $50,000. Pretty good problem to have, isn't it? And then he was used to helping the Lord's work, and he prayed, what should I do with this God? And it's like God said, why don't you give that to what Brother Pelcher's trying to do? And he called up a friend. He stopped by. So I'm praying from 8 to 9. At 10, he looks, and then God connected all the dots, and I got it before I put my head on my pillow that night. And that ministry went on, and we did see some, many people saved. Now, what I'm saying is God is Jehovah Jireh. If we get in the right position with him, he will show he is Jehovah Jireh even today. That's what I'm saying. Now, a friend of mine was not right with God, and he was making $100,000 a year. Now, we know that some people are not right with God and they're making millions of dollars a year. I'm not saying if we're right with God, he's going to make us rich. And if we're not right with God, we're going to be poor. I'm not saying that. I am saying that God will show he's God in us in supernatural ways. And we'll get to experience that. But I also know that if we're running from God, God's not going to let us run away from Him without holding us accountable. Illustration. Here's a friend of mine making $100,000 a year, and I was making $14,000 a year at the time that I'm referring to. And at the end of that year, when I had approximately $14,000 income, I had all my bills paid and some of the things I wanted. He had $100,000, and he had creditors knocking on his door. You know what God is saying? You live for me, I will give you daily bread in supernatural ways. If you run from me, I will show you that I'm going to hold you accountable for running from me. And I'm saying God will show himself if we're in the right position with him. Now, one day I was thinking about my relationship with God, and I was thinking, God, I want to grow as a Christian. And I began to thinking, God, do whatever you have to to make me a stronger Christian. And then I began to think about people that have gone through hard times and they've lost maybe a child. And I said, God, I love my children. Just don't hurt my children. And then I thought about my wife. And I know there are many people who have lost their wives. And it's made them help them to grow. And I said, but God, don't hurt my wife. I'll learn my lesson if there's anything I need to learn. And I began to think about this could happen and this could happen if God... But then I began to think, now wait a minute. What is the thing that scares me the most about God? And as I began to contemplate what would scare me the most about God, here's what my conclusion is, and I mean it from the bottom of my soul, what scares me the most about God would be going through one day without Him. What's the best chance that my needs will be provided, me or God? What's the best chance my children will be protected and nothing will happen to them, me or God? He'll make sure nothing happens that's not for their good. And what's the best chance my wife will be protected, me or God? 
And so we get in the right position with God, and God will show He is who He is. And He will bless us if we're in the right position. Not make us rich, but maybe we're going to need $10 for gas. And He'll do something to give us $10. I think that's kind of neat, too. Maybe we're just going to need some wisdom to do something to help one of our kids who just doesn't know what to do or they're just going the wrong way and we want to bring them back. I think that's pretty neat too when God divinely intervenes and he does something good because we're in the right position with him. Now God is called the El Shaddai, the Almighty. Now Samson got a little cocky one day and he thought he was the Almighty. So God said, I'm the Almighty, not you. And so God allowed Samson to learn a lesson because of his cockiness. He said, I am the Almighty, not you. And he allowed the enemy to capture Samson. You know the story. And the enemy plucked his eyeballs out. And the enemy put chains on his wrists and on his ankles. And then they made him do the work of an animal, pushing a millstone, grinding corn. And shortly before Samson died, he said, God, avenge me of mine eyes. And he got humble before God. God gave him strength then. And God empowered him then, and he pushed down the pillar, and he defeated the enemy. Now, it's the same Samson. One moment he's cocky, and God says, I'll show you I'm the Almighty. And then the same Samson, humble, and God shows him, I am the Almighty. I'll strengthen you. And it's the same Samson, but it's depending on his position before God. Are you cocky? Or are you humble before God? God's going to show you he is the almighty, not you. And he will be almighty for you if you're in the right position with him. God is called our shield. And there are two ways that he'll show that. By giving blessings or burdens. Daniel was obedient to God. And he was put into the den of lions. And he slept on a lion like it was a pillow. And he wasn't even harmed. Then the princes who worked and plotted against him were dropped into that same pit with the very same lions. And before they even got down, the lions leapt up, sunk their claws in him, and pulled them down to sink their teeth into their flesh. And they died and their bones were crushed before they even hit the bottom. Now, Daniel had the shield protecting him. The others had the shield removed from them. And it depends on our position with God. Now, somebody says, I can't afford to tithe. That would be the big mistake that you make. Because you're complying, implying that you're the one that has to figure out all your finances and provide everything. What you forget is that God can do more for you in one second than you could do with an entire year's wage. And what you forget is that God can stretch a dollar and make it buy more. God can stretch the five loaves and the two fish and feed the multitudes. God can stretch what you've got and make it enough. And God can also hold you accountable if you disobey. And he says, you don't give me that, I'll still get that. And he can get it through a hospital visit, he can get it through a broken down car, and he can still get that money, and he doesn't need your money, 
He needs your submission and recognition of his glory and his position as God. I would be afraid. I honestly, I'm not trying to put my thumb on you and twist you in doing the things that I would bid you to do. I'm not even twisting this to make you do something out of guilt. I'm just saying out of common sense, I would be afraid to not go to church when the doors are open and I could be there. Because I would really be afraid that I was shaking my fist at God as insignificant and unimportant. And if I get in the wrong position with God and I don't fear Him, He can very quickly say, okay, I will show I am God by giving a burden. Now, turn back to Leviticus chapter 10. God sanctifies Himself by giving blessings or burdens. That's the method. And very quickly, I want to look at the means. All right, Leviticus 10. You're listening well. Leviticus 10. And I hope that this is helping us just to think about getting in the right position with God. We all could be off a little bit. We could be off on tithe. We might be off on anger. We might be off on cussing a little bit. Might be off on pornography. Might be off on lust. It's just a little lust. Might be off from where God wants us to be. It's just a little cheating. As if the eyes of the Lord don't see. They do. They're in every place beholding the evil and the good, and God holds us accountable. And he blesses us in a positive way, too, when we are right before him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He shows himself strong. On behalf of them, his heart is perfect toward him. Now, the means. All right, the means that God uses is what I often call um, backfire. Now, notice verse 1, uh, Leviticus 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them a censer, put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord. So they offered strange fire. Now, how did they die? Verse 2, there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, they offered strange fire. They were consumed by fire. And often, sin is retributive. In other words, the sin you play with is what you pay with. Now, I don't know why we don't see this. There are people that are playing with cigarettes. And Proverbs 1, 30 and 31 says, They would none of my counsel, they despise my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. And I'm not saying that anybody in here is smoking cigarettes. And if you are smoking cigarettes, I'm not saying that you hate God. I'm saying your body is the temple of God. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And you don't, don't take care of that body, it is a sin. And if you don't stop that, it's not only a sin, but it's also affecting your testimony, and it's going to affect your ability to influence an unsaved person. I believe that. But isn't it true, every day we go by the hospitals, we find people coughing up blood and phlegm because of cigarette smoking. Now, you play with cigarettes, it's often retributive, you pay with cigarettes. Now, is there anybody in this room tonight that right now the devil's got a stronghold in your life, it's called marijuana, or it may have advanced to something else like crack cocaine, or you may be in heroin. 
and you may be the only one in this room, and God's got you here tonight, and you know that you are the one that is dabbling with this. Now, follow me. If you are, God can free you. And if you are, you also have to make a choice to turn to God to free you. Now, if you choose to obey God, he will bless you. If you choose to continue in sin, he will show you that if you play with sin, you will pay with sin. And if you play with drugs, you will pay with drugs. And houses, uh, uh, lives are destroyed because they're playing with drugs. And brains are fried. And you play with sin, you pay with sin. I was in a meeting in Pennsylvania, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw a college student in the passenger seat with a bottle of beer in his hand. He took a swig of the bottle of beer, as I saw in the rearview mirror, laughed, and handed it to the driver, who I then saw take a big swig of that alcohol. And I thought, I'll guarantee you those people are not safe behind the wheel. And I thought, who knows if they would be in the newspaper that night for playing with alcohol, it could backfire and they could pay with it. Now, if you play with drinking, we will pay with drinking. If we play with lies, we will pay with lies. If you're into porn, you will pay through porn. And if you're into adultery, you will pay through that adultery. And if you are into drugs, you'll pay with drugs. And if you're into lust, it will backfire. And there's not a sin that you play with that you won't be held accountable for. And so we've, we have a God who is there, and he will show that he is God. And is there any sin right now? Here's what I want us to think about. Is there any sin right now in our lives that if we don't turn from it, we could be paying with it. Now, how many of us in this room have a sin nature? If you have a sin nature, what do you have a tendency to do? Sin. And whether your sin is anger, that's something you can pay with. It costs you your fellowship and your relationship with your wife. That is a horrible payment for blowing up a few seconds. Somebody says, well, a temper's like a shotgun. It's not that bad. It's over just like that. Yeah. A temper is like a shotgun. It's over just like that, but it blows everything in its way to pieces. Now, you have a sin nature. I've got a sin nature. You teenagers have sin natures. And you know what you're going to be tempted to do as a teenager? If you do what other teens do as teenagers, you're going to suffer through those things. And we all have to look over our lives and see, is there any sin we're playing with that we could be paying with? And get in line with God's position and what he wants on those things. Now, in closing, I want you to see a sad termination. Now, what happens if we do disobey God and God sanctifies himself in a negative way in our lives? All right, the first thing I want to show is, number one, we may never recover. Now, when Nadab and Abihu were struck dead, I take for granted that they never recovered. There's a friend of mine named Tim who was running from God, and we're not close, but I have met him a few times. We've talked. He knows me. I know him. 
And he says the way that God got his attention, he was called to preach, he was running from God, and he was in Vietnam years ago, and God got his attention, he stepped on a landmine and he blew off two legs. And then he decided to surrender to God's will for his life, and he's a preacher and he's really, really being used by God in positive ways. Now, he would not mind this illustration. He would be the first one to tell you that he's now serving God the best that he knows how, and he would also tell you this, I didn't do it until this happened in my life, and though now I am serving God, I didn't get my legs back. A preacher friend, one at Bible College at Maranatha, star football player, he got out of the will of God. My father-in-law was preaching there, and he preached that there might be a somebody here who's got his athletics, and God knows the best way to get your attention is to cut off a vital finger on your right hand so you can't play your sports, your God, and you can follow Jehovah God and worship Him and live for Him. And that young man in that school, running from God, had a vital finger cut off his right hand, star quarterback, that night at work. He went in to Dr. Cedarholm, who was president of the college at the time, and he said, look here, preacher was talking to me. I lost a finger, and now I'm ready to surrender to God. And today Mark Robinson is a preacher, but he wouldn't mind telling you he didn't get his finger back. And I'm telling you, if we don't live for God, we can always recover because God's a God of mercy, but we don't fully recover from some of the scars of our sins. So we want to make sure that we're in the right position with God. Choose blessings and not burdens. It's exciting to see God show he is Jehovah Jireh. It's great to see God show he's my strength, my rock, my shield, my deliverer. But we've got to make sure that we understand he is God and get in the right position before him in every way. Let's bow our heads.